Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up. Welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I am Aubrey Edwards here with my wonderful longtime friend, Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony? What's up, Aubrey? How are you? I am doing great. I'm doing especially great because today our guest is Marina Shafir, who personally I've grown very close to since she joined the AEW family. I'm super happy that you made some time for us. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And yeah, Aubrey, we've had some moments. <laughs> we, we have, we have. Uh, speaking of moments, I want to start this out. So the first match you had was you and Chris Statlander at uh, Dark. Mm-hmm. Your son was backstage watching. And please tell the story about your son's reaction to your match. Yeah, so my son was in the back and um, I lost, <laughs> uh, which was relieving for me, but he is not the biggest fan of losing. He's a very passionate kid. And uh, he threw like a water bottle that was half full at the TV and gorilla and started crying. And when I came into the back, you know, to hug him, let him know that I was okay. Like he was just devastated. I've never seen him that upset about me wrestling and losing. Like he was just broken. Oh my God. Yeah, it was just one of those scenarios where like people were coming up to me and telling me like, you did a really good job. You did a really good job, you know, and like just congratulating my effort, you know, but he doesn't understand it's winning and losing. Like he's just, oh my God, he was so upset. And, uh, you know, Chris being a good sport that she is came up to me and was like, your mom did a really good job. And he just like looked at her like crazy and then looked at me and then looked down and was like, my mom's going to choke you out. <laughs> like she was just like, okay, got to go. Like this, this is where I leave, you know? And wow. he's my biggest fan. And that was very heartwarming for me. Very heartwarming for me to see how passionate he was for me. That is a tremendous story, Marina. I, uh, <laughs> your, your Twitter description in this order says violence, coffee, motherhood, love. Yeah. Yeah. So violence and coffee. Yeah. Do you, do you get more violent when you have coffee or, you know, <laughs> or less? I think I definitely have much more of an open mind to violence after coffee. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, coffee just like it's the perfect catalyst for certain emotions. And I've gotten to know myself over the years. And I uh, sometimes just need to get, you know, take the edge off, let my freak flag fly and be a little violent. I support it. I'm a big uh, coffee snob living out in Seattle. So anytime someone's like, just coffee, I'm like, I got you. It's good. Mm. Yeah. I let Shivani get away with his energy drinks only because I love him. No one else has an excuse. I, I don't get it. You know, I worked for Starbucks for 18 months. <laughs> oh my. And now I don't drink coffee. 
at all. I don't know. I got weaned off of it, I guess, by brewing it and handing it out every day. I don't know. I want to go to the uh, the challenge for Jade Cargill of the TBS title. Yes. The the, the bump on the table. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just, I remember thinking, what the hell? Okay, because because that was not in the, the middle of the table like it should be. It was on, right it was over the legs. Right over the legs. Okay, I know you're. We all know you're tough. We uh, we nobody denies that. But that had to hurt like hell. It it did. Yeah. It <laughs> it really did. You know, and uh, God, I have so much respect for Jade. I really do. She just didn't throw me hard enough. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. She just hurt didn't me. really drive it home. Hurt me more. It was a. It was a very, very good physical matchup yeah. that obviously you guys had worked on, but it was the first time you'd worked together, right? It was the first time that we've, we've ever touched. And, you know, I just really respect her because she really leans into the things that she is good at. Right. And those things are very strong. She's got a six pack mouth and eight pack mentality. Like she gets it done and she knows what the job entails. And there I have a lot of respect for her. but. What made it interesting was like, I'm not from there. I'm coming up through there. And she has come from the beginning. It was nice for us to like have that kind of be the edge about us. And I really enjoyed putting all that stuff together. And she was very open-minded and professional. And she's just trying to understand this just like everybody else. But she needed to put me through that table. <laughs> those tables in the women's division are cursed. We have a hard time breaking those tables. <laughs> you know, the medical team came up to me and I was like, we are 0-3 on the table. Yeah. yeah, That's the record right now. It feels like it hurts more when someone gets thrown into the table and it doesn't break. Yeah. What hurt was going, like, because I, I hit it and I was on, like, the high side of it. So, like, when I went over, I bumped my head on the pavement. That hurt. Wow. Yeah. That caught me for a doozy. Because she kicked me right before that. You know, my soul went out and then right back in. That was a good one. <laughs> you guys had a great match. I love that you're both uh, very strong, hard-hitting people, but you also are very loving mothers. I was like, this is just a great oh, yeah. mix. And I, I love what it's doing for like women's representation. It's like, hey, they said you can be something and we're actually being everything. <laughs> so, hey, everyone. Shut the fuck up. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. You're just like beating the shit out of someone. And then you go home and you have to play with this five-year-old kid who's really into Spider-Man. So there you go. <laughs> it's all about balance. It is. It is. Balancing your coffee, <laughs> your Spider-Man, and your punches in the face. You were released from WWE in June. And then you finally joined us at AEW later that year. Talk about your journey to joining AEW. Like, how did that all happen? So I got let go and, you know... I let my emotions kind of like do their thing there for a minute. And then uh, I just tried to get as much work as I could. And I tried to land um, any opportunity that, that I felt was right for me because this shit has to make sense at this point. I'm sorry. I can't swear. I'm sorry. No, you can swear. I can swear. Okay. So Absolutely. I just wanted to take every opportunity and understand like what would make sense for me and what didn't make sense for me. I did get a lot of experience in NXT. And I feel like I was exposed to a lot of people who tried to push me to lean on the psychology of things and let things make sense. 
and let things make sense and be interesting. And that's okay. And I, there, like, I just wanted to be able to use that muscle. I was wrestling, uh, for championship wrestling Atlanta. I had met captain Sean Dean there after one of my matches and he just came up to me with like questions and, you know, very like inquisitive. Like he wasn't just somebody that just came up to me and was like, you did so amazing. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> he would just come up to me and he's like inquisitive. Like, where were you going with this when you were here? And did it, like, and I've had a lot of experience with like coaches and professionals. And I usually, usually the people who come up to you with questions and are like inquisitive about what and why something was going on. They're usually like, I don't know, they're better receivers of information because then they actually, you know, they, they want to hear the answer and they want to understand. And, um, I guess that's why they call him captain. Right. But, um, right. he extended an invitation to dark and my first dark was Chris. And that's how that happened. Talk about meeting Tony Khan for the first time. One of the nicest human beings in this business. Yeah. Being in the position that he is. He was so welcoming. Like, you know, I got there. He just came up to me and was like, oh, my God, didn't know you were here. Asking me if I want a little bit more time. And I was like, holy sh- what? I was in disbelief. And I, I hope I wasn't giving him a dirty look because it was mostly like, is this real? Yeah. I was just kind of like, are you real? Can I poke you? But that was just in my brain. And I have to, like, respond to the person that is in front of me. And I just couldn't believe it because he was just so incredibly welcoming and um i wanted to do very well he's so unlike anybody who's ever run a wrestling company right Mm -hmm. i mean he really is yeah and i haven't even met half the characters shit i haven't even met like point one of the characters in in, like the united states i hear there's a lot of very interesting characters and and he's already at the top of the list (laughs) it's crazy we're talking with marina shavir on joining AEW, her amazing son, all of the great things she's talked about so far. Coming up, we're going to talk about training, a little bit more about how she got to this point. Talking with Marina Shafir, and this is AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey. You came to this country when you're five years old. Yes. What do you remember about coming to the country? Um... Well, you're five. I mean, I, I, I get it. You know, you're <laughs> very young. But Thank you for giving me all that credit. But the brain <laughs> up here has taken quite the walloping over the years. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was actually, we were talking about this at home, just like remembering like childhood. And I was thinking back to like when I was five and I, I have like very, very vague memories of like when we first were here because it was such a culture shock at least for my parents too. My mom and my dad immigrated here because uh, my dad's mom was sick and she wasn't getting like proper care in Moldova. We came here, I guess, uh, technically as like refugees. And okay. uh, we had a, a synagogue sponsor us. They helped us get on our feet. They got my mom and my dad like English speaking coaches. They helped both of them try and find work. They just put them in the circles of people that could help them. My mom just had to restart her life at 43, 44 with a five-year-old in a brand new country. And then my middle brother was 10 or 11. And then my oldest brother was 18, but he was in the mob and he went into hiding right before we moved here. My mom left him, left his passport and his ticket with our neighbor 
and was like, if he comes back, tell him we're in the United States because she couldn't get a hold of him. He was like hiding in Romania or something from some just stupid stuff. Yeah. So like, you know, she was just really stressed out and, uh, you know, it's a whole new world. That's insane. You never really realize like how extreme those uh, circumstances are until like you look at it. Like if I had to do that right now with Troy, I would crumble. Yeah. I mean, like I would handle it, but I'd be like crying the entire way. (laughs) The entire way, just like crying and having meltdowns and not knowing what to do and not knowing what resources I have. And I don't even speak the language. Like what? Obviously a very strong woman. Yeah. She did. I mean, she just doesn't get enough credit. She just doesn't. She works three jobs. She just, she hustled. I mean, moms in general just don't get enough credit for doing these sort of things because it's what you need to do for your family. And it's absolutely insane what moms are just willing to give up for their kids and give their kids a different life. Like, absolutely insane. Good on your mom. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Just very grateful for her decision making. So you moved to the country when you're five. And then you started training in judo when you were six, because that's the next logical progression of things. <laughs> you know. How did that start? Um, judo was like 20 bucks a month. And my parents are immigrants and they were broke as shit. And uh, it was uh, 20 bucks a month. And I went like a couple times a week. It was really close to the house. That's how I came up. It was just like a hole in the wall, little judo school and the instructors sucked. But I got the basics of it. And then I wanted to elevate, or at least my dad wanted me to elevate. Okay, so you competed in judo in high school. Were uh, going to the Olympics ever a possibility or a dream for you? Yes. I was, um, as a junior, I think I finally, like, cracked the top five in, like, the senior division. I was starting to understand how to, like, go up the rankings, and under- and I understood, like, what tournaments mattered, and I... That's actually where like me and Rhonda became really good friends was when I elevated and decided to take judo to like a higher, like just a different level. You're in a whole new arena and uh, it was difficult. I was doing well. And then when I, when I, uh, I started to find my groove, I think I just mentally was not taking care of, like uh, I hurt my back. First I had, I had like a sciatica nerve thing. And then right after that, I herniated like a disc in my lower back. Man, I just use that like as such a crutch. And I just, that was the reason why, that was my reason at that time that I didn't want to take the steps forward to like rehab and get back stronger because I didn't really have any, like my passion for it was dimming because I was doing it for like the wrong reason. Mm. And I was failing, like I was in a transition like where I was, I was getting better, but I was still getting beat. And I didn't just crack that little, I didn't stay patient enough to just like crack that growing phase in judo. And like, I just made a decision to stop. But also my parents were like stressing out with money and there was no sponsorships in judo and traveling every month is expensive. On top of that, getting like top tier training was really expensive. So I had all these reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, I decided to just, I just quit. I took a break from it and I just wanted to experience real life, not understanding that what I was doing was actually, that's what was teaching me about life was traveling and challenging myself and meeting new people. My perspective was skewed. Didn't have the right people around me. 
Yeah. <laughs> you you had mentioned a little bit that your dad was kind of someone who tried to elevate you a little bit. Can you talk about the role that your father played in your athletic career? Oh, he was the main role. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today uh, when I was on my way to teach judo. Like, he was the reason I learned that the basic concept of, hey, you can learn some things about yourself doing this. That wasn't even um, like a concept in my brain as a kid for like the longest time. And then once he saw my interest and like my ability to do it, he's the reason I, I really understood that and like found reason into doing it for myself. But then my dad was his own person and he couldn't handle certain things. When I would lose a tournament, he wouldn't talk to me. Oh. There was no like, hey, let's talk about this. And I want you to be okay with your experience because that's, that's not how he was raised. Like everything was extreme growing up. My dad grew up in Turkmenistan and was an only child. And like his dad was a military man. And like he was strict. Like there was no fluidity and or comfort around like losing. But when I lost, he wouldn't talk to me for a couple of days, but then he treated me like I was his daughter after because he gets over it because he's his own person and I'm just embarrassed. And, and then he would be my dad, like my savior. And I don't know why I went back to that mentality, but that it's always going to be a part of me because it's a memory of my dad. And like, I, um, there's so many good things, but then there's like dark shit. It's my own personal pain that I've turned into an advantage and are trying to. And I don't ever have to like source this stuff from something that isn't there. I know it's there. I'm acknowledging that it's there and actually <sighs> performing through it. And that lens is helping me understand myself even better. We're talking with Marina Shafir. Uh, Marina, I want to kind of go a little, little direction here because I, I know some of your feelings are deep rooted. And hey, I, I get it. You mentioned Rhonda, and Rhonda Rousey, uh, you've known for a number of years. You trained together, friendship. She was maid of honor in your wedding. Yeah. Talk about your your relationship with her, because obviously it's very close. Oh, man. She's my sweat sister. We call each other electrons next door, because, you know, we just always find our ways back to each other. Even if we can't, something happens in the world, like, where we just are able to reconnect, and we, like, we meet. It's crazy. I don't want to say need each other, but like we have a, a like a real need to connect with each other cuz I think it just really fills it just fills our cups and it I always feel so much better after hanging out with her and she seems to feel the same way. So we just keep doing all that. We've been through some we've been through some crazy things. She's been through some crazy things and I've been through some crazy things and we've always managed to stay friends and not judge each other and just support each other. And really, even now more so than anything, I'm so overwhelmed and happy for her becoming a mom. And uh, it's like, it's nice to share that with someone that you've already had to lean on or like, you know, you've been able to lean on throughout your life. Man, she's just been always like something special. She reminds me a lot of my dad. And that's why I guess, I don't know. And like all the best things with him. I don't have the timeline right off the top of my head, but did you and Rhonda ever discuss both of you like leaving fighting, going to wrestling, like and kind of what that transition was? 
that was never a conversation. Really? No, it was, I had, was just coming back from a neck injury. I had two herniated discs and my neck had like really bad atrophy on my left side. I was just slowly kind of creeping back into just doing jujitsu tournaments, grappling. And me and Roddy had already been engaged right literally the week that I was making a decision about having like a comeback fight. I found out that I was pregnant. Talk about a real fork in the road, right? Right. I was terrified. <laughs> I was just terrified. But like after that, she was just always fully supportive of me. And, you know, I moved to Florida and then she continued her fight career and it went the way that it went. And then she went into the next groove of her life and I was going on to the next groove of my life. But somehow we're still involved in like the same things and same. There's still like similar circles of people. So we never really had to truly grow apart, even if the circumstances were not in our favor. Somehow we just I don't know, like. We just stayed connected and everything kind of happened naturally. When I got offered my NXT contract, it was just a culmination of all of us kind of being in the same area at once and not us capitalizing on it, somebody else capitalizing on it. We're talking to Marina Shafir here on AEW Unrestricted. We have fan questions coming up next. This is AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey and Tony talking to Marina Shafir, wonderful fighter, wonderful person, wonderful wrestler, wonderful mother, wonderful coffee fan. Okay, stop, stop. Talking about lots of different stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm always going to put you over. You know that. Even in the middle of the match, like, hey, you're doing great. It's painful. <laughs> hey, Marina, can you take a compliment? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Can't. Anyway, we've got a lot of fan questions for you, so uh, let's just get to it. Daniel Son on Twitter asks, how has she been able to adapt to being a professional athlete that also has a young child? This was an uphill battle. You know, you got to like commit. It's just committing to slow as fast in the beginning. Like right after having Troy, everything that I wanted, I I had so many goals and dreams of doing things, but I had a hard time walking down the stairs. So we needed to work on that. (laughs) Can't have a hard time walking down the stairs and want to do a bunch of physical shit. So I always stuck to um, Olympic lifting throughout my pregnancy. And that helped me bounce back with those same movements. I just made them more dynamic and I had to take it one step at a time. And I had to make sure that I was eating right. I mean, I had to make sure that I was drinking enough water. It was a hard adjustment, but we got there. It's not supposed to be easy, you know. Because it was easy, everybody could do it. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? And they can't. Uh, All Elite Fair wants to know, my question is exactly how many submission holds, Marina, do you know? It seems like you bring out a new one every match to bring pain and a tap from your opponent. It's my favorite part of your repertoire. Ah, well, that was very, very nice of you to say. I can't give you a number. I think I have like maybe three or basic ones that I revisit on a constant basis. And then I just branch off of that. So I'll be realistic. I'll say it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know a thousand holds because <laughs> I want to see somebody do those thousand holds. Uh, great. Every rep. I know like three really solid submissions that I could probably get from anywhere and four to five, like, yeah, I could probably still get it. I like the realism. Just living life in a realistic fashion. Yeah. Yeah. We got a question from Taco Monster. 
Do you think some sort of MMA should be taught in high school as an elective? And if it was an elective, do you think students who are unable to travel to a gym or pay for a gym would find it a great opportunity? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So my son goes to Montessori school and it's like chilled and laid back, but it only goes up to middle school because Amy Montessori's uh, philosophy was like once they go through middle school and they're starting to hit that puberty note, send them to a farm. Have them go to a farm and have them work out their hormones on some, you know, haystacks and horseshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what they need. And I that's what I plan to do with my son. And then once they're done with that middle school, those middle school years, and I do, I would love to be able to like homeschool for those years. And once he's ready for high school, that's when you can let him learn some things. Let him go into a school system and figure that part out. But what was the question? <laughs> I was going to rotate this back in somehow. Do you think MMA should be taught in schools? Yes, absolutely. Because people like to talk a lot of shit. Yeah. Sometimes you might talk shit to the wrong person who doesn't talk, but they actually do. And any opportunity to learn and just be a little bit more humble is never a bad thing. Right. You know, uh, as a father of five, middle school sucked. <laughs> See? All around. I just want to be able to just avoid that. Yeah, it just, it was terrible. It's just, like you said, the changes the kids go through, it's just, and we had a wonderful experience in elementary school, wonderful experience in high school, but those middle school years. Terrible. Yikes. So I get you, girl. I get you. Uh, This is from Father Trevino. Do MMA fighters get a say in what music gets played? Do you have a say for your AEW theme? Fighters do get a say for what music is played. I know it also depends on like uh, how they're streamed and if they have to pay. Like, I don't know how those promotions work. And Licensing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, they usually get to pick what song they walk out to. And um, I did get a say in my AEW theme music because it needed to be particular. Like the way I tap into the problem is by violence. When I, my dad trained me, uh, when my dad was training me, we would train in our garage, like the dead of winter, cold. There's a space here. Like, imagine a Rocky scene, but like with a little kid and her dad. I'm in the garage doing front squats and he's just sitting on his workbench, just like smoking a cigarette. And it's like cold as shit in there. And he just has classical music playing. And, you know, I'm just like repping out front squats to my dad, just being like, Yep. Push your heels down. Push. Okay. Explode through the feet. Like he's just talking to me in Russian, like guiding me up and down. But that mentality, just something about violent when violence play, violence plays. Like that's just something that happens. So perfect. It's one of my favorite themes. I love standing in the ring and hearing it. It's just like, oh, shit's about to get real. Yeah. And I, it just takes me to the other place. Speaking of your entrance, uh, I found this question really funny. Andy on Twitter asks, have you ever considered switching to a zippered hoodie on your entrance? That is a really good question. And yes, <laughs> I have. There's just something so strike force about my hoodie. I don't know if I want to change it yet. Right. And strike force, the mentality, like, I mean, you're always proving yourself in fighting, but like the strike force promotion, I never fought for them. I always wish I had. And my best friend did. And like, you're proving a point. Everybody just wore hoodies because zip ones were just a little bit more expensive and everybody was broken. Everybody was fighting for, you know, a zipped hoodie. <laughs> I don't know. 
All right. Uh, let's let's go to Wesley Stover. Which the better coffee, Starbucks or Dunkin'? Ooh. Right now, it's Starbucks. Gotcha. You just got to be appreciative of what you can get. Like this morning, I had a Seven Eleven coffee. Right. Sometimes you just want shit coffee. Yeah. And sometimes people just want to call shit. Starbucks, Dunkin'. Okay, they're both good, right? Yeah, they're available. People are working, making coffee. I'm, exactly. Let's, let's just fucking get one. I don't know. Yeah, Pick one exactly. For right. It's like iPhone or Droid. It's whatever you want. It's not a freaking battle. Jeez. It's not. Right. It's whatever you want. I think my answer is whatever airport you're in. If there's Dunkin', you get Dunkin'. If there's Starbucks, you get Starbucks. Right. See, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. Right. It's like, maybe it's just because I've lived on the West Coast my whole life and we don't have Dunkin'. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, the promised land. This is great. (laughs) Droopy asks, what was the most difficult part of making the transition from MMA to pro wrestling? My own ego. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Learning to swallow that motherfucker was real hard. Still is sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to realize where the real level, like the real levels of, uh, competitiveness come from in pro wrestling and um i ain't there yet but i know that and just being vulnerable that was hard it still is hard it's hard for me in relationships it's hard for me every i think it's hard for everybody and i think in pro wrestling the biggest transition is understanding how much you need to be vulnerable because you got to know yourself right Mm -hmm. right yeah fuck those bumps Just just to throw something on that, I think you would agree here. I, I don't think you stop learning about yourself. I've learned right. so much about myself here at this advanced age in the last year. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you just... Absolutely. Yeah, you learn so much about yourself. Yeah, and it's uh, really understanding that every time you put yourself in that arena, you, you have to be taking like somewhat of a step forward. You have to. Right. Whichever way you think it is, like you really have to. and, and that freedom, that's difficult. Because in fighting, it's easy. Like you go into three rounds. If you spar three, three minute rounds, you will learn a lot about yourself. In nine minutes, you can figure out that my conditioning sucks. I need to work on my jab. I leave this open. I need to make sure that I know how to circle this way. Like you can find out so many things. It's a little bit more elusive in pro wrestling because of how you're looking at it. Let's uh, let's hit you with the final question uh, to wrap up this program, and it, it's kind of like not as deep as we've been going, which is fine. I know we went kind of deep with Starbucks and Dunkin'. So I know, like been, <laughs> ask Aubrey, I can't do shallow. It's hard for me. Yeah, I get it. Derek Lockwood wants to know what's your go-to movie, TV show, and what's on your music playlist. My go-to movie, it was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm. Oh, wow, it was. It's such a good movie. Yeah, it is. It's like one of those movies you have to surrender and laugh to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And my my go-to show as a family, it's been Big City Greens. Okay. Mm-hmm. On my own, I've been watching this show on Apple TV called uh, The Morning Show. Oh, yeah. I finished that out. Two seasons, yeah. Oh, my God. I am just like. Pulls you in, doesn't it? How is not everyone watching this? <laughs> I know. It pulls you it's in. It's a really good show. It really does. A hell of a ride. It's like my go-to every time I go. I save it for when I travel. Mm. I know we think of Jennifer Jennifer Aniston as friends, but to me, she is just remarkable in this role. Just wow. Oh yeah, man. She's really just let herself become who she is through this acting process, and she hasn't. 
She's just doing stuff that's very honest to her. Sorry, I babble. Sure. Well, that, you know, that's okay. So finally, what's on your music playlist to finish up this question? Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the last question. Yeah. Shit, I always banter. There's a little bit of Rick Ross. There's yeah. a little bit of uh, Nipsey Hussle. There's Edith Piaf. There's uh, some Russian music. I'm wow. like into some Russian music. I love a lot of reggae. Phony wow. okay. people. I got, I don't know, most F Black Keys. It's a certain vibe I like to at least go into before I go into something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. I don't think Edith and Rick Ross have ever been mentioned at the same time <laughs> before. <laughs> it's a good combo. Well, I mean, if you ever need a tell of who I am, there you go. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Marina, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Great, great interview. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Marina on Instagram and Twitter at Marina Shafir. You can listen to follow this podcast, which is AW Unrestricted. Wherever you get your Apple or uh, Spotify podcast, it's for free, of course. And you can check out the video episodes on YouTube. Just search AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey, take it away. Including the video episodes on Mondays, you can watch AEW Dark Elevation on Mondays on YouTube and Dark on Tuesdays. You can watch Dynamite on TBS, 8 o'clock, 7 central on Wednesdays, and Rampage on TNT Friday at 10 o'clock, 9 central. This is Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone. Thank you for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Take it Tuesday. Thank you. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. Street.